Welcome to the We Invested Podcast, where we teach you how to save and make more cash. I'm your host, Wesley Earp, and this is Season 3, Episode 12. And on this episode, we sit down with the CEO and founder of Grace Swan Digital, Peter Harrigan, to learn about how they make investing in options a little bit easier. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Let's do it. And today on the We Invested podcast, we have here with us Peter Harrigan, and he is the CEO and co-founder of Gray Swan Digital. Peter, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing great, sir. Thank you for joining us. And uh, we'll just get right into it if that's okay with you. That sounds great. Yes, sir. So as the CEO and co-founder of Gray Swan Digital, um, would you mind telling us what exactly you guys do over there? Sure. Um, essentially, what we're trying to do is transform a hundred-year-old but very large, like a $12 trillion industry, which is the derivatives industry. Uh, and we're trying to, to make it uh, easy to use the way that, uh, you know, Apple made computing easy and the way that um, Robinhood has certainly made stock trading a lot easier recently. So our goal is to get it to a point where um, if you can make a mouse, if you can move a mouse, you can create a new derivative product that fits your exact needs. That's awesome. Yes, sir. So for people who may not understand, because I know for myself included, derivatives uh, are a little confusing. It can be confusing. So would you mind like giving sure. us a little bit more in-depth explanation of what exactly a derivative is? Yeah, sure. And, and uh, as far as it being confusing, I remember one, one of my first jobs in trading, they said, uh, why do we use all this jargon? And I thought, oh, because it simplifies it. And they said, no, it's job security. They try to make it confusing <laughs> so people can keep, uh, can keep those jobs. Yeah, essentially a derivative essentially is just um, a financial product, the price of which is determined or derived from the price of something else. So if you think of like the simplest thing to think of as like a stock option, you have a $50 stock and then you might buy the right to buy that stock. And so that per, that right expires at a certain point um, and it will go up and down in price more than the price of the underlying stock. So it's just something that's derived from the price of something else. Um, they can be used for speculation. They can also be used to, to hedge risk, right? So if you imagine if you, you know, I don't know, you had an oil field and you're uh, drilling, you know, bringing up a certain amount of oil every day, you could sell oil derivatives, oil futures, which therefore lock in the future price of the oil that you're going to be pulling out of the ground so that you're not as ex as exposed to the to the price risk. For sure. For sure. Okay. So I think that's a, a pretty straightforward explanation. And so I heard you mention earlier something about Robinhood. And um, I think that's something that's extremely relevant today. And uh, Robinhood has kind of made options trading um, more available to the people and kind of more popular, I guess, is, is brought it to light. So what are your thoughts on Robinhood and that option trading method? Well, I think it's, um, I mean, it's interesting. They've, uh, they've certainly made it easier. And I was just on the site, you know, today looking at it. And I mean, that is kind of where we're trying to go in terms of simplicity. Uh, you, you actually just sort of say, oh, I want to buy, you know, Tesla. And you don't even have to say how many shares, right? You can say, I want to buy $1,000 worth. And they do all that behind the scenes for you. 
Um, it's similar to the approach that Coinbase took in cryptocurrencies a few years back, where you went to a site, you didn't have to say, well, am I doing a limit order? Am I doing a, you know, a market order, a stop order or something like that? You just, you said, oh, I want to buy some, right? And they made it very, very easy to do. When I first looked at the Coinbase application, um, I thought, this is dumb. It's so simple. It's kind of stupid. And, um, you know, they, I, I've heard they're looking at IPOing at some value, like close to $10 billion. So that, you know, that shows how much you should, I don't know why people are listening to me when I thought that, but I mean, they took that overly simple app to an incredibly high valuation. And obviously Robinhood has been incredibly successful in doing that. Um, a lot of people, I mean, you're uh, too young to remember this, but computers used to be awfully complicated and hard to use. Um, and you think about when, when Apple started putting out like a graphical interface using a mouse, uh, went from something like 50,000 computers worldwide to, you know, in the billions in a, in a relatively historically short period of time. So, I mean, it, when you make this stuff easier for people to use, they, people flock to it. Yes, sir. Most definitely. And that's like another thing that I wanted to kind of give credit to, to Grace Swan Digital is because um, on a previous interview that you did, I heard you kind of referring to derivatives as price sharing, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And so I just think that was a really great way to um, make the word derivative sound less intimidating and, and kind of easier to grasp and easier to understand. Good, I'm glad that, well, I'm glad you that uh, made sense to you. And uh, <laughs> I always kind of wonder when we come up with these terms if it actually helps, but that's good to hear. Yes, sir, it definitely made sense. Um, so if you could just like let the people know a little bit more about your background in finance and exactly how you got started in it. Sure. Um, so I've been in, so I was primarily in capital markets. Uh, so in trading for years, um, I actually got into trading. I kind of got the trading bug when I was young uh, and when I was in college uh, and a couple of friends and I actually came up with an arbitrage idea looking at two different stock index futures. And um, we started trading that pretty quickly out of college. It, this was like the eighties and things were so, things were so inefficient. We literally like called a broker in Denver on a phone who then like typed the order and it went to a guy on a telex on the floor handed to a runner who take that out to a guy standing in a pit and you could actually make money in arbitrage even though even though it was that slow because the markets were just slower and pretty inefficient um so from there i went on i, I ended up uh trading for a little while while at bank of america and then ended up on the trading floor in chicago where i traded currency options specifically swiss franc options and then I came out to San Francisco and did uh, stock options for a while. Um, I like to say that I did that for slightly longer than it was a good business. It was a great business to be in. And then um, between the changes in technology and the bear market and, and some of the competitive forces stopped being a good market. And um, it was, I think it stopped being a good place to be sometime in 2001 and I gave up sometime in 2002. Uh, and then, um, after that, got involved in my first uh, first startup uh, in the mid two thousands, um, which was a company called Sentient Technologies, and that was a an AI company where we were essentially using an evolutionary technology to develop um, to develop new trading strategies. So I went in and helped uh, help them found that company. 
uh, and uh, was there for about six years. We went from you know zero to a, a reasonable value and about 50 employees. Uh, started making some shifts in where that company went, and so we didn't really need me anymore because uh, I'm not one of the robotics guys, and I, all I knew about was trading, and I didn't know the the you know the the AI side of it except for a few things I helped them with the kind of objective function and that it was training towards. Um, and so I left in about 2013 and got involved in the blockchain area in around 2014, started learning about that. Wow, and that's a pretty extensive background. But um, I think it's, you know, uh, really interesting some of the things that, that you've gone through in different phases of the financial world that you've seen. I know, like, personally, I've always wondered, like, back in the 80s, how did people know the price for stocks like who work on the floor trading or you know what i'm saying because they don't have access to the internet so how do, how do you know accurate prices for stocks well you know it's interesting cool when when i was doing when i was trading swiss uh swiss franc options the swiss franc futures pit was right next to ours so you had guys standing there literally like flashing the symbol to you and then you had giant screens on the trading floor but i mean if you weren't on the floor you had such a huge disadvantage you had a time disadvantage um, and you had just an informational disadvantage, right? I mean, nowadays it's so much more democratic. People pick up their phones and they have the information that we used to pay a lot of money to be on the floor to get right away. Now, you know, it's freely available to a, you know, to a huge number of people, which is kind of amazing. I mean, it's, it, it was fun to be on the floor. It was fun the advantage that we had because you can make money from it, but you know, technology shifts that, right? And you knew, we knew it was going to go away. And we knew it was going to change and, and it has. And I think that's, you know, hurt a few people who used to be market makers down there, but it's helped a lot of people. And that's, that's obviously a, a good, a good trade-off. For sure. For sure. So can you talk to me a little bit more about, um, you know, how you got your start in cryptocurrency and learning about blockchain and just how uh, revolutionary that technology is? Sure. Uh, well, I got, I started kind of experimenting and, and, and trying to learn about it. And I guess about two, I mean, late 2013, early 2014, um, I had left sentient. Um, I was, uh, not, not, not old enough to really retire and, uh, um, but, uh, in a position where I actually could take some time and, and figure out what I wanted to do next. So I thought this would be a really interesting area to learn about. Um, and I started going to, the Ethereum meetups that were in San Francisco and then down in Silicon Valley um, and went in and started learning a little bit about you know, the technology, also what kind of what some of the uses could be of the tech. Uh, and uh, I, you know, I, I, I like to say I got a couple of things out of that. One was that I, I kind of invested early in the Ethereum, um, the Ethereum ICO, I guess we call it now. It wasn't even called that then, uh, which was just incredibly lucky. Uh, and, and uh, you know that that worked out well, and that sort of helped us and uh, what we're building. The other thing I did is I ran into my partner Stephen, who was the other old guy in the room. I mean, we we're you know there at like around oh gosh, you know, fifty years of age, and and in a room full of twenty five year olds, and so naturally we sort of started talking. Um, and he had an aerospace engineering background, and I had the financial background, and we sort of talked started talking about what you could do with some of this technology and what kind of businesses could be built. And then before long, we were sort of discussing, we had, went into discussions that ended up being the company we were, we're doing now. For sure. So um, in Grace Swan Digital, do you guys utilize the blockchain technology in your 
current company now? Well, so we um we are definitely uh, using the using the blockchain as as a as part of the technology stack. So a lot of our technology is more conventional. Um, but what uh, one of the things that's been really interesting about blockchain and smart contracts, it got a lot of people really thinking about financial products and how they could be done. Uh, so for us, you know, we started initially thinking we would put everything into smart contracts and then realized that we really didn't have to put everything in that particular technology. Um, but we certainly uh, find it useful in terms of um, being able to create like a, a form of collateral storage that people can look at that's decentralized. So there's some very, very interesting things we can do in the derivative space based on because of blockchain. Uh, but but more than anything, it really, it, it allowed us to start rethinking kind of how do you create a derivative? How do you create a financial product? Are there new ways of doing it? Uh, which ended up, you know, ended up getting us to where we are now, which is something again, where it's this sort of visual and intuitive tool that allows people to select the outcome they're looking for. And then we break it down into the pieces that build that rather than the old way, which is kind of, here's a financial object, um, what can it do? Right, so it's it's sort of a taking it the other the other direction, and I, I don't think we ever would have gotten there uh, without you know going to those early meetings and sort of thinking you know getting that inspiration that came from that that space. For sure. So because like Grace Swan focuses on the visual tools and the visual aspects and, and making it more intuitive, what is your uh, target market? Uh, so we've. Um, We've been trying to build this so it can work in a lot of different directions. And, you know, uh, we want to make something that, that, you know, can hit a lot of unserved markets that exist right now. Um, there's, uh, there's some things in like the industrial metals and, and industrial chemicals that are not being as, as fully served as they can be. Um, certainly, if you look at like the developing world, the agricultural markets are not really well developed. Um, there's an interesting, something that happened a few years ago in, in, uh, Southeast Asia, like they were growing a lot of pepper in Vietnam. So in Cambodia, they thought, well, they can grow in Vietnam, we can grow in Cambodia. So you have like this huge market, people start uh, start um, growing this, um, but they didn't have a hedging vehicle. And so what happened is, as all the supply came online, the price started to decline and people were in trouble. Well, we'd like to be able to help build a market there really quickly, creating something where it's very easy to start a new market. So. I think our initial markets are probably going to be more conventional, working with some partners around maybe industrial metals and things like that. But I think in the long run, we'd like to go out and try to serve all these areas that are you know, currently unserved. There's just large parts of the world that don't have this kind of financial infrastructure. And so I think we can help them develop that more better, you know, at a lower cost. For sure. Yes, sir. So, um, you know, your background, you have a, a lot of, experience starting new companies and um you know just creating things from ground up so what kind of feels different to you about um gray swan like how did you know you had the right business idea when it came to this one uh that's a good question um i think one of the things that's i mean well part of the difference is i've been involved in in building a few companies now and so there's certain early mistakes that you make i mean i certainly think about like when i was um you know 23 and my friends and I were starting our trading. Um, we didn't have any kind of backup plan. We just had like one strategy and it worked for a while and then it kind of stopped working. And, um, you know, 
Uh, there, there's there's a lot to be said for making mistakes when you're young because then you have a whole lifetime to learn from those mistakes and and benefit from what you learned uh and one of the things we learned there was not to was uh you know not to be too focused on just one thing uh so we built a lot of optionality into what we're building there's some technological optionality in terms of different ways we can go and then also the fact that we built it not just for saying this is the one market we're going to serve but we built it in such a way that we can address a lot of different markets so that that really helps us if one of the areas that we were thinking about going into has some problems we don't have you know we're trying to eliminate those areas of risk that are outside your control right so that's uh, i think that's one of the bigger ones that and I just, you know, we're a little bit more organized about how we're doing this and, you know, better documentation and better plans, that kind of thing. For sure. So it's kind of like um, you're learning how to hedge against, you know, the risk of, of being a one dimensional company. Right. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, I certainly when we first started, we thought, you know, Bitcoin's going to need people to have a way for people to hedge themselves. And um, now certainly there are some products out there now, but if we had just done that, you know, at one point it would look like Bitcoin, you know, was going to look like it was going to go away. Right. And then of course it's, you know, it's come back. Um, but I think that when you are, you know, when you're tied to just that one option, it definitely, it definitely gives you a little, puts you at more risk. Sure. Yes, sir. So it seems like, um, you know, you really understood the importance of like networking and getting in these groups, um, you know, going to different meetups to learn about uh, new technologies and things like that. So what's the importance of having a good team around you and like building a good team around your business to you? Right. Well, I mean, you're never going to come up with, I mean, well, okay, I shouldn't say that most, but I'm certainly never going to come up with a brilliant idea entirely on my own. I think you need to have you know, you need to have more brains in there. You have to have like, you know, you think about that like Venn diagram and how it gets wider as you add people who have, who bring different experiences. Uh, certainly when I was at Sentient, um, I, Sentient Technologies, I came in with someone with a lot of trading experience. We had, you know, like robotics PhDs. We had a guy who worked at NASA. We had all these really, really brilliant tech guys. And what was really interesting was bringing the really smart tech people who didn't know a lot about trading with you know me who knew about trading and didn't understand what they were doing but um this allowed us to really come come up with this kind of cross domain knowledge and so i think when you're you know you're sharing ideas and you're bringing in a, a good team um you, you just get further right you're not gonna you're not gonna think of everything and then when you have these long conversations with people about what you can build you start coming up with some really brilliant ideas that can that you would never have gotten to just just as one person. Um, I mean, this is you know, this is this is the story of uh, of humanity, right? This is why we outcompeted other animals is we can communicate and we can work together. Um, I even saw something that said that's why we think like they think like Neanderthals died out. Humans are better at networking. We actually communicate sure. really well within our groups, and as a result, we you know you get a lot further. Yes, sir. 100%. So, um, and I know you kind of hit on this topic earlier about some mistakes um, that you saw that you made early on in your career starting out. Um, what do you see like many uh, startups and young entrepreneurs, uh, like what red flags do you see today, if any? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I haven't, uh, you know, it's funny because we, we worked with a lot of other companies and then, you know, we've been like kind of heads down in our, in our own, uh, you know, in, in recent, in the re last couple of years. But I, I mean, 
I, I think um, I think people don't necessarily um, build in enough optionality. The other thing is just you know you be careful with your costs, right? I mean, you know, if you if you can keep your costs down, um, you're not giving away too much of your equity. You can have you know more shots, right? If you get too diluted too early, you know, you're you can be in a situation where you know, if you're not going to have the right value at the next raise, you're in trouble, right? So, so uh, I think keeping costs down, doing a little bit more planning and working stuff through before you get to the execution phase can be worth it. I know there's a big philosophy now about um, starting, uh, fail fast, have new ideas and, and, you know, have them work. And if they don't work, then you move on. But I think sometimes it actually pays, pays off to spend a little more time in the planning phase. Because once you get to that, you know, you get the investment dollars in, it clock's ticking and, and you're, you have right. a limited amount of time. And that's a pretty interesting point, too, that you um, well, that I kind of read on your on your bio. I was on Wikipedia and I saw that the tech company that you were with previously is was like rated as the most well-funded company in 2016 or something like that. Yeah, and so they, I'm not too familiar. I'm yeah, not too familiar with like venture capitalist or or raising money, um, you know, doing different rounds to raise money or, or getting investor money in. So like what's that process like and what does that really mean? Well, it was interesting for us. So uh so yeah, Sentient um after I left did a huge round. Uh and, and so we had definitely increased the value from you know nothing to a pretty significant number, but then they went and got to the next round. Um the founder Antoine Blondeau is uh, is very was very good at that. Very very intelligent man and very uh, very good at talking to investors among among other among other skills that he had, as well as having a, a really really deep understanding of the AI field. Um, but what was interesting about um, about the the venture about raising money, uh, we talked to a ton of VCs, and the money just doesn't come from where you think, right? So you go out and you talk to we talk to VCs over and over again. And we were getting, we were getting nowhere. I mean, people thought the ideas were interesting, but we weren't really getting checks. Uh, we get a few, just enough to keep going. And then um, we ran into a, a, a fabulous investor, uh, someone out of Hong Kong, who was extremely supportive of what we did. And all of a sudden, we were in a completely different financial area, right? We were able to expand, and we had a lot more money. And and what we found though is, you know, you kind of think, well, if I talk to you know, if I talk to 10 people, I'll raise $100,000. If I talk to 100 people, I'll raise a million dollars. There's some kind of like linear relationship. And it really wasn't like that at all. We talked to people and got nowhere, got nowhere, got nowhere. And then all of a sudden, you know, we found someone um, who was incredibly helpful to us. And then after I left later, they, you know, continued that relationship and were able to help that uh, financial relationship and that investment relationship get them into more bigger financial relationships as well. Sure. And um, I, I hear you kind of, well, I guess at the beginning of the interview, um, you were talking about, I guess, Asia and, and some Asian territories growing more pepper. Mm -hmm. But I've just yeah. heard, I've just, I've just heard that a lot of China is buying up property and buying things in Africa. And a lot of the economy is looking towards Africa as a very resourceful place. 
Um, so is that something that Grace Swine Digital is thinking about doing too? Maybe building an infrastructure up in Africa out or getting in Africa to get in early on that? Well, uh, so I, one of the things that we've looked at with our infrastructure is, I mean, I mean, if you look at like these developing countries, particularly in Africa, where they've jumped ahead, like they don't, you know, you know, we used to have all our phone system was a bunch of wires running through the ground, right? They've just leapfrogged it. Everything's cell, cell phones there. People have, um, and they also have a, a really under, good understanding of kind of, um, you know, digital currencies and things like that, right? Because one of the first ones was one based on minutes and things like that. So um, that's a very interesting area, obviously huge potential for growth. We have talked to some people about um, certain crops that could use the ability to, to hedge against uh, price movement. So I think when we're further developed um, and, uh, you know, we'll be in a situation where it could be adapted to those markets fairly inexpensively. We want to have something where, you know, they don't have to build like a giant exchange, right? They just have something where we have, if we have the right price feed and agreed, agreed common price, we can help them to build and develop a derivative around there. So it is something that we, we're talking to people. Um, we talked to some people in the, in the southern region of Africa about a certain crops, and I think it would, could be very helpful to people there. Um, but um, we're not we're not ready to do that yet, and so we won't be hitting those those markets until you know we've we've developed a little bit further. Uh, at For the sure. same time, though, it is huge huge area, right? The growth rates are crazy. Um, I, you know, people just don't recognize how big you know just how big the continent is in terms of people physically. I mean, there's so much happening. I do I do think there's real prospects for that becoming a, a giant growth area. Yes, sir, for sure. So what do you think has been like the most critical um, critical moment of your business journey? So like kind of like a fight or flight moment for you. Uh, well, I mean, I did, you know, having traded on the floor, you made a lot of decisions and a lot of trades. Um, so there were a lot of, you know, like big there, you know, there's some big wins and some, some scary, some scary losses. Um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think if I can isolate on just one. I, there was one I, I talked about in another podcast where I was, I was like trading Adobe options, this and, um, like I, I was short some puts and uh, they're way out of the money and they're not long to expiration. I thought, oh, I don't need to worry about those. Uh, and uh, one day the price started dropping and it was early 2000. We were just coming out of the internet bubble and there was this giant drop in the NASDAQ market and it started going down. And I think, why, why did my, why do my sheets keep telling me I'm getting like long stock? And it's like, oh, cause you're short puts dummy. And it's starting to go against you. And I remember having to run over to like the Bloomberg machine and just start selling stock desperately as it went from like 95 to 90 and then to 88 and then to 85. And I had to start thinking, what will my position be a dollar lower? I better sell that now. So I'd sell and sell. And the, the thing is, if you're short options, you have this position where as the price goes down, you get more long the stock. And as it goes up, you get more short the stock. So it's the exact wrong position to have in that kind of situation. So I can, I do remember like selling all the stock and it went down to like 78 or something. And then all of a sudden the price stopped, turned around and started rallying. I'm like, Oh my God, and I start buying them back, buying them back, buying them back. <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and I think at the end of the day, I had sold like 50,000 shares for an average price of like $84 and two cents. And then I bought back 50,000 shares for like $84 and five cents. I've lost like three cents 
on 50,000 and it could have been so much worse. Uh, but it did, uh, it did teach me to, you know, look at that position, not take it, uh, not take it for granted that, Oh, there's only four days left on this. You're okay. There are, there's some risks out there that can really bite you. And, um, I mean, I came out of that day okay, but you know, if I'd had the opposite position, I would have made a ton of money. It would have been great. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes, sir. I mean, it seems like a like a high adrenaline moment, right? <laughs> oh yeah, um, absolutely. I was drenched with sweat, and I looked up at the clock, and it was like nine thirty in the morning. I still had like three hours a day to get through. But, yeah. Right. I, unfortunately, I was younger. I, I could I could do it back then. <laughs> For sure, you can handle that stress. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so what would you say is the single most important reason for your success today? Uh, such as it is, uh, I'm, I think um, I think it's important. I think people underestimate taking risks. Um, you know, taking risks and trying to build a new company, trying a new uh, career. I think um, I think people just they you know if you if you can take risks where you know that your downside is limited, but your upside is unlimited, um, or at least less limited, whether that's starting a company, starting a new job, buying a property, investing in something. I think that, that, um, there, there's a lot that can happen. I mean, when, when I think about what's happened, um, you know, what, what's happened with me, I've I mean, you know, I got involved in helping start a company that was a risk of, a, you know, maybe I was wasting my time. Right. But it actually ended up being a great payoff. And then um, you certainly think about you know, cryptocurrencies and some of the stuff around blockchain. When you were buying these things early, yeah, they could go to zero, but they could go up quite a, quite a deal. Uh, and I still think that's true for a lot of things now. I mean, you know, Bitcoin can go to zero, but it can go to a million. Right. So does it make sense to not have any? So I think, you know, the biggest thing I think that has worked for me is, you know, risks that are not going to put you out of business. They're not going to, you know, personally bankrupt you, but risks that you can afford to take where you have a lot of potential upside. And I can say that if I look at my own life, there's been a lot of, you know, kind of steady or, you know, a little bit of down, but then a couple of big spikes up. And it's certainly better than what, the, what a lot of people do, which is ignore the risk be taking huge risk for small gains, but they don't look at the risk they're taking. And so I think that, you know, a lot of people think, well, I just want a nice smooth, steady income, but then they're, they've got risk they're not recognizing. And then sometimes they're in a really bad situation. But if you can have that, you can have that risk be limited to what you can deal with and then have enough upside every now and then the upside comes in. Yes, sir. I agree. So how do you, how do you personally define success as an entrepreneur? Well, I mean, you got to kind of keep getting up every day and doing the work to get to the next step. Um, I think a lot of it is just sort of still being there, right? Because if you, if you give in, if you give up, then it's done, right? But if, and if you take risks where it has to be done, and then you're, it's over. But if you can keep swinging, then you keep um, having these chances for good payoffs for building interesting things that can potentially help people and, and help yourself. Yes, sir, for sure. And how would you like for people to remember you and your companies? Um, oh, it's interesting. I have not been asked that question yet. <laughs> um, um, you know, what we're really trying to do 
is um, bring the best parts of the derivatives market, but hopefully not the, the worst parts uh, to people in a lot of businesses in a lot of areas. So uh, I think we'll, you know, by trying to create something that is visual and intuitive where people will know what they're doing, they'll actually deep down understand what they're doing. Part of our um, user interface is actually a drag and drop technology where people like click on the mouse and pull the line to where they want it so they can see the payout they want. And I think that that, that connection between your eyes seeing it and your hand moving it gets really gets it in locked into your brain in a way where you really understand what you're doing. So what I'd like to make, I guess we'd like to be remembered by is is, is helping um, smaller businesses and people get to new investments and you know new kinds of price protections, um, you know in a way that they couldn't have done before we came along. So we'd like to help a lot of people who aren't in those markets be able to get to those markets in a positive way, to either protect themselves and their businesses or find um, new investment opportunities that could be positive for them. Yes, sir. That's awesome. That's awesome. But and, and before we wrap up this podcast, um, mm -hmm. I always play a a fun um, rapid fire question game at the end where I okay. just ask you three random questions. Um, okay. Are you up for it? Oh, sure. Let's go. Yeah. Yes, sir. So first question, where's your favorite place to travel? Um, I love going to the mountains. So love getting to Colorado and um, especially like in the summer and when it's beautiful up there and hiking up at high elevation and stuff. So that's probably my favorite at the moment. Yeah. Yes, sir. Question number two, what song explains or represents your life the most right now? What song? What song? Damn. I, I you know what? I don't, I don't think I know at this, at this moment. Um, you know, if I had my daughter here, she could like, you know, she's the one who keeps me abreast of all the, modern songs i would i wouldn't i'd be like lost and like you know like classic it can be rock from the 80s. for her <laughs> yeah it can be from the 80s that's cool <laughs> uh i i honestly i i really i have to I'm, i think i almost have to take a pass i can't think of a song that like sums up my uh, that sums up my um that that, that sums up anything in, in my life at this point but you know sorry All to right. disappoint I'll, I'll work on that one how about that i'll get back to you <laughs> No, no problem. And look, last question. What's an amazing thing that you did that no one was around to see? <sighs> amazing thing that I did that no one was around to see. I mean, I could make up anything, right? Because no one was around to see it, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> well, I mean, it would have to have been something that I did when I, I'm trying to think of like, yeah, okay. So, um, I can remember when my, my first daughter was born and, um, they were like my, my wife, they like took into another room and I just had this little tiny baby with me. And I remember just sitting and, and talking to her and, and sort of explaining to her how we were going to be friends and what this was going to be like. And, you know, talking about how, you know, what, what our, what our future would be like. And I mean, yes, someone was there, but she was about an hour old. So I don't <laughs> think she remembers it. So that would probably be it. For, for sure. For sure. That's a moment you can never forget, right? I'm not yet. I haven't forgotten it yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Well, Peter, thank you so much for stopping by and chatting with, with us. Would you mind letting the people know how they can find you on social media or the internet or anywhere else that you can be found? 
Absolutely. Um, so, um, so on, on Twitter, uh, would be at Grace Swan Digital. Uh, that's spelled with an E, so it's G R E Y uh, Swan Digital. Or they can just uh, look up me, Harrigan underscore Pete, on Twitter. Um, we have a, a Medium page, which is Medium slash Grace Swan Digital. Um, and if they want to contact us, they can just um, send an email to newfinance at graceswanmail.com. And we'd be happy to answer any questions anyone has. That's awesome. Thank you so much for your time today, Peter. Well, thank you. This was fun. Thanks. Yes, sir. All right.